We are Wrestling Elitists. I'm your co-host, Chris Scott Moore. Joined, as always, by Alexander the Gibson and suckering succotash, Sean Nash. How's it going, boys? Hello. What a year it's been already. It's really fucked us in the ass. <laughs> oh, sorry. I mean, honestly, I... <laughs> I came in here pre- feeling pretty good with how much wrestling we got for week one. Uh, it was, yes, it was good to have, but geez, at what cost? Bob Saget, RIP. Love yeah. you every day, Bob. All right, let's try to recover from that. So <laughs> please remember to subscribe <laughs> to the show via iTunes or Spotify. Uh, some of you may have not seen our show on iTunes. That's because there was an issue of some sort that we're trying to navigate right now. But if you want to listen to the podcast, go to wrestlingelitist.com uh, to stream it there. We do have a section for our podcast as well. You'll also be able to take a look at our latest match ratings and articles. Uh, the This week featured article is a look back on when I became a wrestling fan via Royal Rumble 1990. So give that a read as well. Um, and then please give us a five-star review if you can. And if you have any questions or anything that you would like us to discuss on the show, please feel free to uh, send us an email or put comments in the comment section of the podcast itself. So Sean, please introduce the format of the show to anyone who is a first-time listener. Yep, every week we're going to hit you with a match of the week, a moment of the week, news item of the week, cringeworthy item of the week, and what we're looking forward to in the coming months and weeks. Yeah, so this was a very packed week. We had um, Wrestle Kingdom, both nights of it. We had had, uh, AEW debuting on TBS, we had Battle of the Belts. We had so much shit going on, so let's start off with what our match of the week was. Alex, let's start off with you. We went five stars this week. Hangman Adam Page and Brian Danielson. I'm even going to get his name right every time I say it this week. Loved the match. Um, you know, obviously a, about a month ago we had the time limit draw go 60 minutes, which was a really good match, but uh, kind of start. I had to start off slow. You can't have a 60 minute barn burner really. Um, and then what they followed it up with here uh, in the TBS debut, I just thought it was the pacing. The whole match was good. Uh, in our group chat earlier in the week, Chris, you made a comment of like, there wasn't really like a minute that you could have been like stepped away in, in this match. Like it was just bang, bang, bang. Um, you know, kind of had that continuation of some of the feel of the original with uh, with Daniel Sin doing the uh, nice, nice, uh, <laughs> uh, doing, doing, doing his uh, jumping jacks and everything like that, and then Hangman kind of doing the same thing back to him later on with burpees and um, overall just really enjoyed the match. Um, I thought that they just they did such a good job of like the storytelling. I think that's one thing that I've always liked about even the Bucks matches and the Elite back when they were in New Japan. Uh, and you would always see like callbacks to things. And obviously these aren't that crazy of callbacks. They were a month ago, but overall it just, it felt like it was a continuation of the story. It's cool to see, uh, um, hangman make Brian Danielson have his first loss in AEW after he's kind of, he's only been winning dominating or in time limit draws. So really kind of establishes that title reign that he had. I had a little bit of a fear that he was going to lose and, in that case, no matter how good that match was, I don't know that I could have given it a five star just because of the story that we had with Hangman for so many years coming into his title reign. Um, but overall, uh, you know, I saw somebody else. I'm stealing this take, but somebody compared it to uh, Bret Hart versus Stone Cold, like a modern day kind of version of that with how bloody it was and everything. And I absolutely agree. What were your guys' thoughts? 
Yeah, this was my match of the week as well. Um, I gave it four and three four stars. Um, I'll have to watch it again to see if I want to go full out five stars, but I have watched it twice already. Um, I thought it was a fantastic match too. The thing that stuck out to me the most was the fact that their reversals and reversal sequences that you see in wrestling, they all felt brand new and they felt unique. It wasn't like traditional reversal spots that you see. It felt like a sloppy amateur fight, which was a good thing as opposed to it being choreographed. Brian Danielson looks like a real athlete and he made the match feel like a legitimate fight and hangman was a great pro wrestler throughout. So he, it's not like hangman didn't cut the mustard or wasn't up to the uh, same standard that Brian Danielson was Um, just simple things that I thought were fantastic. Like they did a a sequence where uh, there's a suplex over the top rope. They both land, they flip each other over, run each other into the, uh, guardrail or in the on the ring post excuse me um call back from the first match with the doing the grapple and tug of war and hitting each other in the head with it danielson was beat up more with the headshots and he was bleeding profusely and i like that it led to the story of hangman getting a decisive win because of how much more and severely beaten his headshot was and he was bleeding more hangman stomped him punched him a shitload of times, and then did the buckshot lariat to win, and he won decisively. It wasn't like a fluke roll-up. It wasn't like a, um, you know, exchange of holds, and then he got him in a, you know, submission spot in the middle of the ring. Um, I just like that it felt like a real-ass fucking fight. It felt like a throwback NWA match, um, like a flair funk type of match as well. Uh, the thing I wasn't so much of a fan of was the headbutts. I think there was at least 20 of them. At one point, they did like a sequence of like 10 each uh, or, or 10 between the two of them. And then they did the running headbutt spots. And I was like, Jesus Christ, like this is just brutal. And it's scary for Brian Danielson, of course, in his history to do that. Uh, and I hope that's not a trend that uh, gets you know brought back and people start doing head headbutt spots because... We'll talk about Shibata later on, but just only one uh, headbutt that goes awry can cause serious damage. But definitely loved the match. I thought it was uh, very unique. It was the better match, I think, of the two that they've had on TV. I thought this was the best uh, singles match they've had on AEW television. I think the two tag team matches that they've had on pay-per-views were better matches overall. But I think this is one of the top three, I would have to say, unless I'm forgetting something. I, I, I liked it more than Cody and Dustin. Before yeah. before we go to Sean though, real quick, I was yeah, just going to say one one other spot that I I really uh, liked, and it's one of those things that I watch it and I'm like, oh, that's that's proof why I could have never been a wrestler was just simply when Hangman went for that suicide dive and uh, Danielson just sidesteps it and fling throws he, him into the guardrail. Yeah, he just ate it. I can't imagine voluntarily doing that spot. Like I, I would no. I would for sure hesitate, and I'd I'd go into business for myself and just I don't know pretend I rolled my ankle or something i don't even know what i'd do but yeah there's no way i'd be doing that i just i thought that that was just like a spot that like it's not crazy brutal but for some reason like whenever they do something like that or like when the guy catches them and then throws them into the the railing off of like a suicide dive or something like that that always gets me to pop i i think that it, it doesn't happen too often so it always it always gets a good reaction out of me and i instantly like just hate the heel who did that because it just looks so brutal to me but sean Yes. Yeah, yes. yes, sir. Um, uh, yeah, like you guys said, uh, it kind of felt like a continuation of that 60-minute draw they had earlier, and it was so 
just felt like they were in a true fight with each other. So it just, it was so passionate between the two um, kind of finally hangman saying, you know what? Fuck it. I am a champion. I deserve it. You're going to get your ass beat for the way you've talked to me. I gave it four and a half stars. I think it was great. I, I would definitely put it up in contention. Like Chris was saying with best match they've had on dynamite television, a great start to TBS, but Probably more of on a recency bias. I went with my match of the week of Kazuchika Okada defeating Shingo Takagi at WrestleMania 16 for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. It's a mouthful. But this this was kind of like the New Japan that I love. This is the storytelling in the ring with just athleticism, action, and B-slamming. Um, they don't have the time or promo ability for someone like me who doesn't understand Japanese to build any kind of story like that. But they, they clearly do it in the ring. Um, it kind of crazily blew my mind that this was the first match that uh, Shingo Takagi actually hit or got hit by a Rainmaker and how long it's been. That's just an insane stat. Even with, I think we'll talk about in the moment of the week, it's just another AEW crazy stat. There's no way that this has happened, but I can't be the person to, to dispute that that actually happened. They did it perfectly in this match to just roll out. Um, Shingo Takagi uh, ate a DDT on the outside and picked him up clearly just straight from that little prone position, hit him with a vertical suplex on the outside. Um, Okada, master of drop kicks, master of almost everything, probably, I would say. But his drop kicks, he can he jumped up to the top, over the top rope as Shingo was sitting there, hit him. Just phenomenal. Shingo's kind of been a, a champion with a chip on his shoulder the whole time was in a bad spot with where we were in the world with COVID-19 and restrictions that he didn't really get the crowd reaction that he truly deserved. Love Shingo. Um, fundamentally just so good. I don't think there's really a bad thing you can say about his, his style and arsenal of moves that he has. Um, he, Shingo actually did do a, uh, a rainmaker like posed like Okada and just set Okada off like something that you just that don't normally great. see in a match. And it was, intensely and um red shoes kind of pull him off great um okada came down to the to the ring instead of with the geo1 uh, briefcase like normal with the old iwgp belt just beautiful and his little antonio inoki scarf towel a cool little nod to him and it was just great to kind of see okada at the end bow to the belt kind of give it away to the crowd and then accept the new not as prestigious looking belt, but it kind of fits Okada for the for the moment. It, if he if he's willing to take it, I'm willing to accept it as a, a New Japan fan. He's the ultimate babyface. I think he's. You have to think every year. What did he do to constitute not being the wrestler of the year? So it was good to see. It was the only one of the only shiny moments of Wrestle Kingdom this year. I think so. I enjoyed it, and I needed to get some spotlight. Did you guys catch it at all? Yeah, gonna watch it. I, I agree with you. I love the moment when Okada got pissed because he doesn't show that side to him. He does have a cool, reserved personality that's kind of his character that is the ultimate athlete. He's unflappable. And for him to get pissed off in the match and kind of like midway through or not too far. And, and I mean, there's yeah. not a long way to go. Yeah. Um, brought an intensity that I thought it was lacking at first. Uh, the question I had for you, Sean, is what pushed you over the edge to go Shingo versus Osprey? As the match of, you know, your favorite match of Wrestle Kingdom. Because um, they both were good. Well, I, just, I, 
I, I, I love Shingo Takagi and I mm-hmm. can't stand Will Ospreay and this, the <laughs> character, the co- Commonwealth pimp or whatever, Kingpin. Uh, I just can't stand him. And when he came out after the match and was just talking shit to Okada, it's so much more insufferable trying to listen to him when the crowd can't boo him or anything. They just have to sit there in silence and it's awkward and he continues to go on with that weird hair of his. <laughs> yeah, I actually didn't get a chance to watch. I'm So I'm still behind uh, on the New Japan stuff. But um, I think Sean and I are both very anti- Will Ospreay, so he would have to put on a match twice as good as Shingo, I think, for us to uh, select that. We have we have a little bit of bias, plus clearly with uh, Hangman versus Danielson, and then Sean's choice here. Not only uh, that's the match of the week, but the move of the week is the lariat because there's a whole lot of lariats going on in all those matches. So. Yeah, yeah, that the best in the world made in Japan of Shingo's. I can't believe. Okada is able to come up the next day and wrestle Osprey, and then two days later team up with Tanahashi and go against uh, Muda and someone else from um, Noah. No, no idea. I haven't watched it that one yet, but no, I haven't watched day three. But the lariats were in, um, and the, the the clotheslines were back in style. The thing I forgot to say, and that was kind of like I had a brain fart there before we went to your match of the week, Sean. But the thing I liked too about uh, Hangman and Danielson is that Danielson avoided the buckshot lariat continuously and he was always trying to be on the opposite side of the ring and kind of close to the ropes just in case he needed to get out which was a cool spot and kind of clever and even with his like uh, you mentioned too uh, Alex Hang- uh, Hangman uh, jumping to the outside the tope his arm getting hurt Tony Schiavone did a good cover of like what felt like a lack of psychology for him to all of a sudden abandon his right arm. Um, he mentioned that, oh, Danielson is so fixated on the blood now. And so it's like, oh, okay, that makes it, you know, that's smart that he just kind of avoids it. But then when he did put on the label lock, he went after that right arm. So just like subtle shit that uh, a lot of fans miss um, or don't catch the announcers do a good job when it's a great match. They can always get buoyed by something great in the ring to point it out and highlight it. So um, another thing that was just fucking smart about that match too. Um, There's a lot of great wrestling this week. It was a lot to take in. I mean, the Wrestle Kingdom main events were very outstanding. I know you guys aren't fans of Osprey, but I thought that match was very good too. Um, it definitely, we talked about this in our chat too. Those, uh, Okada is probably one of the best workers in the world and he can get the most out of so little, but some of his matches have become so slow where you can feel like you can miss the first 10 or 15 minutes. And it's almost like an Ironman match where it's like, okay, I can wait until it gets to the final 10 minutes before you know that something crazy is going to happen. I, I thought the Osprey match had a little bit more though action where it where it felt more, I don't know. There wasn't things that were avoidable or skippable, but to each your own. Yeah. Uh, Okada and Shingo to a, a lesser extent, I think kind of has like a weather, the storm kind of match style where you go through the buildup, not quite rest holds or like um, always test the strength, but just straight up shots. Then you kind of build to the, some emotion in the match. And then we finally get to the, everyone's putting all in their might. We're getting some finishers, then we're still getting kick outs and we get a whole like uh shot for shot, uh chop for chop kind of style with them. And with Osprey, it's definitely more of a, a faster pace style for sure. So to each their own. 
but definitely a great week of wrestling. Everyone was across the board. Yeah. Alex, anything you wanted to add before we go on to moment of the week? No, I mean, other than, yeah, I mean, it was such a busy week of wrestling that I didn't even get a chance to watch everything I wanted to, which is just a a nice problem to have. I think during COVID, there was a lot of times early on where just wrestling didn't feel important to watch because it's, there's no fans and you could tell, I think new Japan, especially early on was like, well, screw it. Let's try some shit and see if, if it sticks with like evil being the champion and everything like that. And then, you know, WWE, I didn't care for the Thunderdome. And and even early on, I didn't care for AEW stuff until they really started having fans back in. Because I thought the wrestlers on the side were like, they were just trying too hard. Gun Club. The Ass Boys? Uh, and, <laughs> yeah, the Ass Boys. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so with that, and then even prior to the AEW days, when we were kind of starting to get jaded to stuff in WWE, like, so to have a, a week like this where there was so much that I genuinely couldn't watch everything I want to watch. It actually just kind of feels cool as a fan to, to kind of have that problem again. Cause it's been a long time since I felt that. You and your social life want yeah. to go on dates and be having a life. Shame on you. First world problems. I my friend. Oh God. Come I want to like people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this was such a great week of hanging out in my basement in isolation and isolating <laughs> my wife and dog. <laughs> right. <laughs> just, just saying, I think I got symptoms. I'll be in the basement. Yeah. yeah. Easy excuse. <laughs> all right. Let's go into our moment of the week. This was across the board. We all loved the segment with MJF and CM Punk. Alex, what did you love most about it? Uh, I love I mean, at first, because I didn't even think about when when Punk hit uh, Sean Dean, I was like, why did why did Punk just do that? I, it didn't click with me until basically the same time where it's clicking with MJF. So I felt like I was I was experiencing it at the same time as MJF and understanding what Punk was doing in terms of getting him DQ'd to cause him that loss. I just thought that was brilliant, um, especially because AEW actually does care about wins and losses when it comes to title shots and obviously there's the revolution um, ladder match coming up and things like that so um, there's just so many things that play into it I think it was just a really unique small take for something something for punk to do there to um, to agitate MJF to continue to get him to actually want to fight him especially because he keeps running away from him, saying like punk I don't care about you I'm not going to face you you know and clearly being scared of him and just then punk just getting on the mic and saying this happens every week until you fight me just a perfect way to kind of, you know, corner him. And, um, I, I loved the whole segment. There was the line about, you know, uh, if you want to go, if you think the grass is greener, go ahead, but you know, you'll be, you'll be, you'll be out quicker than you are in bed with women or whatever it was that he said, something like that. Like overall, it was just a really unique segment in terms of ways to continue the feud and kind of force MJF's hand. What did you guys think? Yeah. Um, I loved it. I thought it was, a uh clever how using a dq as a finish because it was funny too because i think the audience maybe did not get it at first because you're we're so used to seeing dqs and run-ins and especially as like if you were a lifelong wwe fan like me like good god that was such a trope that russo would use like every match had it had interference so i think maybe fans may have been like oh what the hell's going on because they're just not used to that playing into a finish and being it in having it being used logically um, yeah, Punk's line though was great. But it was quite a mouthful. But he said, 
you can main event night four of a buy one, get one free WrestleMania show, and then you'll get released by the time you faster than you can fuck your girlfriend or I don't know, something like that. I don't, I don't think he said fuck, but it was quite the mouthful, but he had a good line. And uh, with all the releases going on, it was quite timely and uh, very predictive of the future. But we'll talk about that later. Sean, what did you think of this? Uh, yeah. Um, just another, another, another week in the ingenious build and story of these two to the inevitable match that we're going to get. It's almost to this point, like how could these guys in a match form beat this build that they've created? It's fantastic. Um, I, Chris, I think you mentioned a kind of a way for them to continue this tit for tat DQ of matches for the Wardlow match this week of, uh, MJF fucking with Wardlow genius just genius all around. Um, I can't believe that this was Sean Dean is the first person in like a 140 wrestlers or whatever they said uh, to ever win a match on dynamite via DQ. But how have you over? Had, yeah. Over 140 television episodes. Television episodes. Was. Yeah. Uh, how do you do that? Like it's it just almost instilled from like years and years of WWE watching. Like you're going to have probably 140 out of 140 television shows. DQ matches. So, amazing just kudos on aew for knowing that and for this amazing storyline uh sean dean kind of you know really running with it on twitter about how he defeated mjf or even like tony khan acknowledged it and some other wrestlers have acknowledged it and then mjf and and uh you know mark smart mark sterling uh friend of the show now that he favorited a tweet of ours um you know, mentioning it and how it doesn't yeah, count and everything him. like that. Boy. <laughs> uh, you know, them acknowledging it the way they are. It's reminding me, I loved back in uh, WWE when Curtis Axel technically never got eliminated from the Royal Rumble. And for like a whole year, he was like living off of that fame, you know, often imitated, never eliminated. Uh, I just, I, I like it because it's so stupid and over the top. And, and obviously, you know, it's not, you know, they're just kind of making a joke of it, but it actually upsets the heel in, in this case. So I, I'm enjoying that. Yeah. And Dean also has a shirt you cannot buy on pro on, uh, pro wrestling tees if you don't want your data stolen. So shop at EW. They, do, they weren't hacked. Don't worry. It's, it's <laughs> um, not the same. It's not the same thing. And then I also <laughs> like too how much MJF is so great. Like you want to have a match. You want to have a match. You want to fight me. You want to fight me next week. You versus Wardlow. He can milk that moment out perfectly. He's so good at being such a dick. It's amazing like how he's excellent at that. And the crowd actually started to chant uh, PG Punk, which kind of freaked me out. I mean, it shows how effective he is Mm -hmm. and he's getting face pops because he's so good. But he'll totally go back on it because he'll just insult the fans again and he doesn't let them run with it. And And I don't think he ever wants to be a face. No, not at this point. I, that would honestly feel like dark days are ahead. Yeah. Uh, having MJF be a face, I don't, I don't want to see it. Really, I, don't, I just don't think you could ever do it. Because nothing he would do would seem genuine. Like even right. if he had like make a wish kids with him or something, like, <laughs> he'd be waiting for something. Sympathetic, it would be like, oh, you dick, and like I mean, <laughs> they could do a storyline with that of like him trying to be a baby face. That would be very entertaining in itself but he just doesn't have that ability to be that guy but um oh you have one more thing alex i was gonna say his character if he was a face would feel like do you remember like back in like the early 2000s when it was like really popular to have those like pringles cans that you'd open it and like a bunch of like 
stuffed snakes would come shooting out at you or whatever. Oh. <laughs> That's what it would, his face turn would feel like. You'd be like, when is, when am I going to open this fucking can and have that shot at me? Like it would never feel genuine. No. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's go into the news items of the week. So Alex, what was your news item of the week? Yeah. So running it back to uh, new Japan pro wrestling and Russell kingdom. Uh, we talked about it, you know, back when it was announced, but Shibata made his return, uh, faced a young lion. And as they were announcing the match, it was announced as uh, catch wrestling rules. So, you know, no, no striking or anything like that. And Shibata got on the mic and changed the rules right before the match and said that, no, this is going to be a traditional rules match when I had heard about that. And I did see, you know, that match because I, I was excited to see him come back. Um, you know, when I heard that, I was like, obviously that was planned and they kind of did that as a, like a little treat for the fans. But, uh, the rumor mill is going around since then though, that that was actually, uh, a Shibata going, going into business for himself, um, which is terrifying because we've talked about like one of the worries that we have with him is him not being able to not wrestle in his old style that nearly killed him. Uh, so Hopefully, you know, he can continue to wrestle this way. My bet is that he's pretty much been wrestling in the LA dojo for the last few years without New New Japan probably didn't even really know the extent of it. So he's probably able to push himself a lot further than a lot of us know. I think he looked really good in the ring, Um, you know, way better than somebody who hasn't been in the ring for years and, you know, almost died, like we said. So you know, there's, there's that part of me that says if he knows the risks and that's what he's okay with, that's, that's, I guess fine. But then there's the other part of me that doesn't, you know, we, as wrestling fans, we've seen enough of our, our favorites, um, you know, have a tragic early end and I don't want him to be added to that list. Yeah. Um, like you're saying, working in the LA dojo, I think a lot too, he kind of trained, Ren Narita, who he wrestled uh, quite a bit, I believe, in the LA Dojo, too. So there's probably some build to it. Um, Kevin Kelly continued to mention throughout the whole match that it sounded like Shibata kind of went went into business for himself, so to speak. Um, it wasn't as, like you're saying, as dangerous as it's been in Shibata's past, but uh, it's still very worrisome when it's just out of nowhere when you hear about it. Um I think the craziest thing about this match was it was like the Spider-Man meme come to life. Just Ren Narita really taking a, a Shibata look there. They so similar. Great match. Good to see Shibata back, but hopefully it's in the safest way possible to keep him alive, not in a wheelchair, not dead. And he looked young too. Like he didn't look like someone who had dealt with serious serious brain issues for a few years right or, or had the stress and sadness of not being able to wrestle like he didn't look like shit i was surprised how youthful he did look and in, in, in facing run he did look like a young guy too like he didn't look like he was in like his middle 40s or late 30s he looked like he was still ready to go and had a lot left of a run in him uh and the announcers did a great job on this i i cannot underplay how well uh both of them did in this match just to like just to tell the story of it and the importance of why he wanted to wrestle ren what he was trying to do to get out of him to get him to fight him harder how he didn't want sympathy they did a great job of telling the story which is great too for folks that only check in on wrestle kingdom once a year or this is their only time they watch japanese wrestling or maybe it's their first time watching it in general just from the hype of other wrestle kingdoms they did a great job in the storytelling Alrighty, so let's move ahead. Uh, Sean, what was your news item of the week? Uh, yeah, 
I think uh, just as bad this week, um, William Regal was released. And like, I just don't, it's got to be hard. Uh, You two, I'm only in accounting, you two are in HR. It's got to be hard to deliver the news to someone like William Regal that we're letting you go. Just how, just almost dumb of a decision that sounds like uh, he's a a man's man. You can't get rid of that. (laughs) Um, It really made me go back and like think about his career and just how crazy it just, at an early age before knowing shit about shit, how he kind of was that heel that just made you hate him. No matter what, he's always going to instill that, that emotion in you. And he didn't even have to try. Um, he was held in such high esteem by pretty much the whole industry. Um, as you heard from Twitter everywhere, um, since. So it's crazy. to think that he's gone. Hopefully he does something cool with his time. I, I think he doesn't have to do anything more and his legacy has been cemented in wrestling. Um, in the book, Ma, John Moxley's book, Mox, he had a good story of like their initial feuds in um, his NXT days as Dean Ambrose. And it was just great storytelling by written by some crazy lunatic like like Moxley. It, you still feel like the the emotion and the, the fun that he had in a match with, with him when he was far past his wrestling prime career. So just kudos to William Ringo. If he retires, good on him. If he goes to AEW or somewhere else, sweet what do you guys think yeah regal is um i mean he's responsible for what we loved about nxt and a lot of the the guys that we do still enjoy in in wwe overall um and which i think you know at the end of the day is part of what led to AEW. as much as you know nxt kind of ended up turning into something that we don't necessarily love anymore um i think those golden years of of nxt really helped provide the hardcore fan base with a with a brand to recognize you know or be a part of and that kind of helped lead to everything else and i think william regal you know he was a big part of that guys like kevin owens got a chance because of him and um it feels like a little bit of an end of an era like it truly feels like okay so nxt 2.0 isn't just an experiment anymore this is nxt 2.0 is what they're going to do moving forward and um, if you look at it from a standpoint of, you know, what the main roster is, it probably makes sense, but it feels like kind of almost an attack on the hardcore fans and even Triple H with how with the people that did get released and, you know, beyond just Regal. Um, you know, I hope that he ends up in AEW because he's got a wealth of knowledge. And, you know, like you said, he's he's kind of a legend. He's one of the first people I remember coming into wrestling um you know to mention a name that not a lot of people talk about the first thing i think of when i think of william regal is uh eugene when he was like his caretaker and everything like that he was you know uh that was kind of like my first exposure to regal um back when i was watching um you know definitely wish wish nothing but the best for him and and hope that wherever he ends up uh i i I actually selfishly hope that he doesn't just end up like retiring or anything like that i hope he goes somewhere whether it's impact to be an agent or AEW. I think anybody would be lucky to have him. I can't imagine that Tony Khan wouldn't want him. Um, he was a great GM in NXT. I think he was one of the best uses of a GM for many years. You know, he wasn't a corrupt guy. He kind of tried to restore order at times. Um, so overall, I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, I was sad to see it. And I think that it, it kind of signals signifies that, um, you know, kind of the the true end to the original form of nxt yeah um 
big fan of him as well. I think he's going to get another shot, though, in AEW. I mean, he'll probably get another opportunity to be a coach and trainer there, just a scout, because I think that's what he did really well, too. And it's not just the indie guys that came there, but he would scout all over the place for talent, um, especially in the UK, too. He's able to find folks there as well. So hopefully that's what he does in the next phase of his career, wherever it goes. He had had such an incredible run. I mean, that story of what his first meeting with Vince, where he was on drugs and passes out in the actual meeting and still getting a chance and being there for another, what, 20 years or so. I mean, it just shows you how uh, well-respected he is and just what an incredible life he's lived uh, as a kid doing chain wrestlings and carnivals. I mean, just an enchanted, genuinely interesting man in life. So uh, I'm sure he'll get another shot. Me personally speaking, I don't want him to be like an on-air uh, GM type just because it's been done and AEW's done a good job of not having one of those tropes. And I kind of like, you know, they use the announcers to feed Tony Khan's wishes and minions and stuff in kayfabe. So I'd like him to not be on TV, but I certainly wanted him to have a job as a talent scout. Uh, Brian Danielson thinks the world of him too. And in his book, he talked about him endlessly of like all the things that he's done for him. And I think Regal could do wonders for um, some of the younger talent to make their matches look like real athletic contests and fights, you'll notice the difference in Danielson's striking and just the way his matches feel like a real fight. And it has like a UFC quality to it, as opposed to, you know, memorizing sequences and choreograph uh, cooperation that unfortunately some of the matches do have based on their style. So I think he'll do fine there. Now, Alex, you mentioned the uh, end of an era. That was my thing that I wanted to talk about for, news of the week as well just the whole bloodletting of nxt in general um it wasn't just william regal it was uh road deal double g uh and then gabe sapolsky nice. was gone too um some of the samoa other joe. samoa joe yeah that was also on there uh, i think some of the other producers and writers from the show um i think if there's anyone else but there was a what was it eight people Brian, or so wasn't it like wasn't there like Ryan Katz, who's been there since like 2008, 2009 uh, as a writer? Ranjan Singh? Or s- yep. Do you say that? Before, yep. Yeah. Crazy. So a lot of people left. Um, I think the one thing I wanted to talk about and get your guys' opinion on this, there's a lot of noise and scuttlebutt about, is this a shot on Triple H? This is the game, baby. Someone played it a little better, it seems like. But it almost se- I, I don't... I don't believe Vince McMahon would be that petty to his own. I yeah, that's where I was gonna kind of go with this too. Yeah. I wanted your thoughts on that. Yeah, I would. I would agree. It feels like it is a hundred percent, but I don't think it actually. You know, it it feels like that because that's what it is. Like that's like all his guys. But I think it's just literally, it doesn't make sense for them at this point to be catering to what Paul Levesque wants. You know, I don't know why I said his his real name. I don't like shoot that. name. Damn. Yeah, his his government name. Invoke his shoot topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just have a hard time thinking Vince is intentionally trying to punish him and do like a curtain call 2.0 on him because they failed against AEW. The whole move to the time slot it had was Vince's ideas. It's Vince's idea that they let go of these people and they cut them. It's not like um, this is something so independent of its own. So I don't know. I just have a hard time thinking that this was a plan to fuck Triple H and it's all happening because he's out of the office and he's sick. It just seems very tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist. It, it Certainly there's some 
elements of truth and things that we've seen in patterns of Vince's behavior that could make it seem like that's the case. But like, why would you do that to your own grandson or, or grandchildren's father? It's just like, eh, just too much. And then on top of it, Triple H is still like the third most powerful person in the company. Like he's going to be okay with this because it makes the company richer. Like, why would he hate Nikon? Nikon's making him so much more richer and valuable. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's a true attack on Triple H, but I think it's a, a almost like an attack on his philosophy a little bit, or like a. Um, beyond that, actually, I should probably put it as like it's almost like just it was a true power struggle. I would imagine. I bet you know. I feel like it is the Kevin Dunn, Nick Khan, those kind of those those guys not doing it in a way of like F Triple H. It was what Triple H thinks is going to make this company money isn't going to work like that, that hardcore. I mean, we're seeing it a little bit with AEW, like AEW is pretty much staying. They're not really gaining in viewers or anything like that. And you see what SmackDown does with great numbers on Fridays still, um, you know, beyond better than raw has been doing. Um, so I feel like it, I don't feel like it was a, a true, like, Hey, we're going to do this despite Triple H. I think it was more so a, just a statement of, where the other people beyond Triple H think that this company is going and where what they see value in in terms of wrestling versus, you know, steak versus sizzle, essentially. Yeah, I mean, that the company is so family intertwined that it's hard to not make a business decision look kind of personal because of who's brought in, and especially when you're in that kind of power and you run a whole show like that, your, your people are going to go. It's like when you straddle a... Uh, NFL GM with a new coach or a, and he doesn't get to choose his own guy it's it's business decisions that are going to happen and unfortunately they end up looking personal yeah it's too bad though I mean there's a lot of good talent that got released uh, just in this wave and I'm sure there's going to be more waves of talent leaving after the rumble because they need bodies and they can't just separate everyone and let them go but I wonder what it's going to look like down the line with that um, now, the conspiracy theorists in me, we talked about this in our own little group chat, but I wonder if um, they'll be okay with NXT 2.0 not being a big show and they can eventually cancel it and just move all those guys up to the main roster. That's my kind of crazy-ass conspiracy theory that has no basis in reality or no discussions in Stanford. So <laughs> that's what I think. But I don't know. What are your thoughts, John, uh, Alex? Yeah, I was just going to say... Um... First of all, I wanted to go back to something that Sean had said earlier about us being in HR and, and being able to handle this. I remember when I first decided to go into HR, like I was like, man, that'd be so cool to be talent relations for the WWE. That sounds like a nightmare job after the last year. I would I oh, would be yeah. miserable. Like I would just absolutely hate it. But uh, the thing I was going to add is I wonder if when we do start to see, and I know it's hard because, you know, how do you really truly become a huge star that gets in a bidding war without WWE, but on occasion that'll happen. And are we going to see guys start to do, uh, like putting into their contract, like a no cut clause type of a thing, like where, like if not even 90 days is enough, like, no, if you just decide you don't want me, like you have to pay me out my full contract or something like that. Um, I wonder if that'll start to happen because it's clear that there's very few names that are on uh, the WWE's list that are are completely untouchable. Yeah, like you said, Chris, too, um, of uh, getting to a point where we cut off NXT 2.0 from TV and just move up to the people of the roster, it definitely feels like this is going to be a year because of all these cuts that they've made. They're going to have to 
bring up so much of that NXT roster. It's not going to be like the the casual two or three people from NXT in like in years past, but it's going to be maybe ten. Who knows? Um, and then, but I mean, just of hopeful news of it all, it looks like Samoa Joe might come back to wrestling too. We, we've seen some of these people who've been on in, injured reserve, as you'd say, uh, for so long coming back. I'd love to see Samoa Joe being the next one. Give us, give us a, a Samoa Joe, CM Punk, Brian Danielson, like OGs of ROH faction. The best. Please. The best. And Eddie Kingston's not allowed to join. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> angry on the outside of it. Force, uh, him, to, force him to change in the hallways. Oh, sorry, what was that? Force him to change in the hallways like the Miz. Yeah, <laughs> yeah or I was going to say Jamie Noble is their manager. Oh, God. <laughs> he was a champion back in like 05. Those George short shorts. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> um, I, I wonder if Gabe Sapolsky is going to try to do a promotion now. You know, because there's enough talent on the out there. Or maybe he goes back to ROH or whatever ROH is going to do. Like, I, I don't know what their financial situation is, um, but there's a lot of talent out there where you could do another, um, you know, promotion now and do something different or have um yeah there, there, there's a lot to do with it on the outside now so i'm excited to see what happens there well yeah and just despite him like i think selling off uh evolve to wwe wwn which was like the parent company over evolve they still do operate as an own their own independent uh wrestling company so i don't know if he still has any stake in that but that could easily be a way that he goes back and basically just rebuilds that so it'll be interesting for sure all right, let's get negative. Let's go into cringe of the week. <laughs> Alex, get ready to shit on something. Go for it, buddy. Uh, well, I've got uh, my my honorary notice of cringe of the week is Apple Podcasts because their support sucks and um, they never helped me get last week's episode on. But my true cringe of the week, I'll be quick with it. <laughs> I was saying leading up to that last week, I was hoping for a new set for the TBS debut and we did not get it. It just feels weird to me to do this whole thing like, it's a big deal that we're moving to TBS. We're, um, you know, this is the next step for us and to sell that. And then it looks like the exact same show that we saw the week before on TNT. So um, it's honestly not a huge deal. It's me being nitpicky and me being a little bit spoiled because WWE used to change their sets fairly regularly, especially if they were kind of, you know, back when they went from Spike to USA again and then things like that. Um, I just, I was really disappointed that there was nothing that changed. It looked like the exact same same setup yeah and i think it really stood out when it was battle of the belts and the set was completely the same for all three of the shows it's not that big of a deal but it is a missed opportunity because you don't get these chances to do an organic facelift without it seeming kind of off of like okay well now why are you doing this new set in the middle of fucking july at some point you know uh but it got me thinking about a question for you both so i wanted to put you on the spot what was your favorite wrestling tv show set so not like a WrestleMania because that's kind of too easy because those are so opulent and sure. so beautifully done. But like beyond WrestleMania, what was your favorite set? Probably, yeah, I probably think- the fist. I think. I mean, that's the most out there thinking. Uh, like just everything else kind of seems so similar. That was different for its time. Yeah, I would say that that was that was my favorite back in the day, and I think part of it is because that was when I really first got into wrestling. Was and I was I was a SmackDown guy Same. because Same. at the time at the time Raw didn't get on until nine o'clock Eastern time, 
Uh, so it was just easier for me to watch on a Friday at eight on UPN. As a kid. Exactly. So I uh, was always a fan of the, uh, the fist. And I think that it's just, it brings back a lot of good memories of, of back when I really, really was enjoying, um, you know, Eddie and Ray Mysterio and, and all those guys, JBL the cabinet, Ooh. JBL. What you, about you, Chris? Yeah. You and your good memories of fisting. You too. Shame on you. <laughs> <laughs> Da, da, da. Set yourself up for a dumb joke. Um, <laughs> my favorites were like I love the old Raw set when that first came out, like in ninety or Raw's War set. So ninety seven, the initial Raw's War it looked very grungy. It looked like a Marilyn Manson show. Yeah, uh, that was always a cool set, and I like Nitro's initial set too. Yeah, but there's yep. been a lot of them on TV. I mean, like I think we've been spoiled. Like WWE does a good job. That's one of the things that they do so well that it's undeniable as they do such a great job with their entrances and sets definitely yeah i will i will say that now it feels like it's too much with all the led stuff i mean it's still cool don't get me wrong like it's impressive but it just makes the whole set look especially when you look at like the ring posts like they just look so like plasticky now because they've got the you know the outside of them has even the led and everything it's i think it's cool from a if I didn't watch wrestling every week, if I was a casual fan and my, my friends were like, Hey, we're going to this wrestling show, come with me or whatever. Probably very impressive for somebody, but just to see it day in, day out, you know, every week, something about it just, it doesn't feel the same. And maybe it's just a nostalgia factor for me, but I like the, the more old school, uh, raw and SmackDown sets. All right. Sean, what was your cringe of the week? Um, I think nothing, nothing this week was too cringeworthy. I think it was a great week of wrestling that we, can't really cringe on too much, but I think the uh, the House of Torture New Japan faction is just it's over. It's too much. It's not over. I should say it's dry. It's awful. I'm sick of it. It's it seems like what New Japan would think. What would WWE do? We'll just interfere and have run-ins and ref bumps. Just so much bullshit in a match, and I'm kind of sick of it. it Bullet Club always kind of has seemed to be the faction in new japan that's going to do it back when the elite were back there then the young bucks were such little little pieces of shit that it's something that you've always seen with them but it's to the, this point like at least those guys you could like you could enjoy like they'd put on good matches but evil dick togo uh show and the tokyo pimp yujiro takahashi just that's not a faction i want to see or care about like why is why is a Tokyo pimp in a house of torture faction? It makes no sense. So you got dominatrixes in a stable of prostitutes. I just I don't like it. I, it ruined an Ishi match for the never open weight championship. I mean, I know the ref ate a, a sick lariat bump from Ishi Stone Pitbull. Gotta gotta represent, but it just it ruined what I would love in a, a Wrestle Kingdom match with with Ishi. So. Sick of them. If you guys are out there watching it, I'd skip anything kind of around it. The show and yo match was good, but the rest of them, there was too much fuckery and Dick Togo involvement for my liking. Yeah, Jay White and Red Shoes can get into it sometimes where it's not so like, uh, okay, it's taking me out of it. They can, the, like, the two of them can feed off each other, but it is tiresome and it is yeah. a trope that gets exhausted in the G1. And, um, at least with Jay White, it's like mid match. It's 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 his involvement. It's not just Dick Togo fucking around. Yes, I think Gato Gato's kind of gotten a little a little too much with that too when he was coming to the ring with Jay White during that beginning of the Blade Runner when he turned on Okada. But 
it's not what I liked about like what I like about New Japan. So I just kind of cringe at it and hope it would go. Yeah, hopefully it'll get faded out and they uh, don't do some of those silly finishes because that is a big turnoff. I just from what I read about Japanese wrestling and stuff, like they just hate that as uh, fans. And one of the things that made uh, Japan wrestling really popular at one point, another boom was uh, UWF where they didn't have fuck finishes and the stupid disqualification finishes or countouts or anything along those lines. And uh, so, yeah, the, the people like legitimacy over there. Um, so legitimacy, let's talk about something legit. This was legit gross as fuck. Ray Phoenix's arm. That was my cringe of the week. <laughs> that was some nasty Brutal. shit. That was like nah. Psycho Sid breaking his leg on the WCW pay-per-view level cringe. Like right away I saw it and I was like, oh no, that's bad. And then they did the replay and that was like one of the, that was one of the gnarliest, grossest sports injuries I've ever seen. So much so that I had to go up to my uh, go up to my wife and reenact it in bed at ten thirty, and she just was very annoyed and wanted me to shut the fuck up. And I was like, "Oh my god, worst percentage we've ever seen!" Oh my god, I'm doing it on the bed, and the dogs all pissed off and freaked out. Like, what the fuck are you doing? But that I just was so blown away by it. The only thing I'll say before we get to you, Alex, is like I kind of wish they just shot stopped the match there. I know that would have been really anticlimactic, and it kind of pisses on the Lucha Express's maybe story or victory, but like his arm was so fucked that like any fan could be like, yep, just stop it. Like they just stop it. And then you can give them the title and they can come back at some other point and whatever. But uh, again, we, we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago or a couple episodes ago, but ref stoppages for a excessive violent real life ending isn't bad. No fan is going to feel like they were cheated out of that because they want to see Ray Phoenix back again. So um but that's just my personal pet peeve. Alex, what were your thoughts on this gruesome injury? That the fact that he only dislocated his shoulder oh, or yeah. elbow, whatever is that is a, uh, a violent miracle. Uh, the best way to put that. I just could not, could not believe that when I, when I saw that report, um, definitely the clip that I've sent the most to non wrestling fans in a long time. Uh, cause I was like, look at this, this is insane. Do you want like, make sure you're not eating and, sent that just to everybody that I pretty much have in my phone. Um, just an absolutely brutal move. And from the first angle, you know, you kind of see something bend back or whatever, and you immediately see uh, Phoenix point to his arm and then they cut away. And I think that's when I texted you guys. I was like, uh, I think Phoenix just broke his arm. And then you immediately, I think you guys were a couple minutes behind me and you go, uh, yep, yep, he did. And uh, then they showed that other replay and that was just, oh my God, absolutely disgusting. Um, and I think, you know, the whole ending of that match and the way that they did it, I like the way that the heels all came out and just were staring and then they were cutting to Jericho sitting in the crowd and all that stuff. Um, that feels like that wasn't supposed to happen. I actually was guessing that at the end of that match, uh, we would see Brody King's debut with uh, Malachi Black, like they would come in and attack the Lucha Brothers. So I wonder if that had if that caused any sort of a uh, an audible for them, but Absolutely one of the grossest things I've ever seen. Super happy to hear that it's nothing too serious because when I the first time I saw it from the the replay angle, I thought that we were never gonna see Ray Phoenix wrestle again. Oh yeah, like, for sure. I was you know, that dead. was that was just absolutely a disgusting injury and um just super happy to hear that he's 
he's doing okay. Not only is he doing okay, but I mean, just a surprising development of it only being a dislocation. Sean, what were your thoughts seeing that? Yeah. Um, and unfortunately not seeing a debut of Brody King with Malachi, he's just kind of chilling in the the rafters, eating some popcorn, just weird for his character kind of just to be sitting up there like Jericho too. It's just didn't really make sense in, in my eyes, when, especially with like what happened with the last match and how that ended and there started. Um, but Yes, yeah, so you have that with Brody King. Just wish that could have happened. But then you have this on par with like Alex Smith or Joe Theismann level injury. Just amazing that he came out on the the much shinier end than on the the scale than they did. Or was it like Teddy Bridgewater, whoever like almost lost their arm in Minnesota? Someone over there, I can't remember. Just crazy sports injuries that thankfully he's alive. Thankfully. Chris didn't break his arm and trying to show his wife and we're all here alive, healthy and doing good. Yeah. It's, a, it's always a, it's always a plus. And, uh, um, you know, we can't go without talking about cringe of the week without talking about, uh, Jericho's hair dye. Oh yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I totally forgot. Yeah. I'm like you let it set before you start sweating. Come on. That, that was nasty. That's the Giuliani rule. <laughs> oh, it it was bad. It was I didn't even almost notice it at first. Then I'm like, oh shit, he he dyed his hair. That's definitely just some just for men gone wrong. But I, I kind of felt bad and I almost didn't even want to bring it up because it's like I wouldn't want to make fun of a lady's looks. But like Jericho's whole shtick is making fun of the way people appear for so long that it's like, okay, I guess it's got a fair game. But it's like, come on, dude, like how did you not like, there's no one in Gorilla to go like, whoa, 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 whoa wait, wait, you're not ready yet. It's too dark back there. It's... I guess so. That was just, that was odd. He, he, he hasn't had a good couple of weeks, the poor guy. Yeah. Fluffy on good groceries. Yeah. Well, here's hoping that uh, Chris Jericho turns it around, you know? Uh, so let's go into what we're looking forward to next. Talk about anticipation. Alex, what's, what's wet in your beak, my friend? I'm looking forward to Wardlow versus CM Punk this week. I think uh, it's kind of interesting because it's the two guys. It's MJF's current feud and what we would believe is his uh, next up coming after that. So there's going to be some storytelling alongside that. Really interested in kind of how they play play this um, because you know Wardlow is competing towards getting to that uh, Revolution ladder match and everything. So you don't want him to necessarily take a loss, and that's why they've been building him up with all these. Uh, power bomb uh, matches and everything like that. So it'll be interesting. I'm. I think Chris, you had suggested maybe there's some sort of a uh, DQ finish in this one, almost to kind of get around that. Um, but overall, yeah, I'm uh, just really excited to see what they do with this and to see how, more so than the match. I'm excited to see what they use this match to uh, do to like kind of forward these uh, these current feuds that MJF is in. Yeah, and I think too, this was one of the matches that was on Tony Khan's. Uh, napkin of doom a couple months ago that was supposed to be for full for full gear so i think they've had something in mind for a while so whatever that best idea was versus where the idea is at now so i think we're gonna see something fairly fucking good because it just wouldn't be uh wasted for an op you know just to have some skippable moment of television uh and yeah you can have uh mjf attack Wardlow and you can do Sean Spears doing it with the chair. There's so many ways you can do it. That would feel great. And you can have Wardlow go full fucking Batista. Maybe he doesn't go that yet though. So who knows? It's going to be very interesting to see. <laughs> yeah. 
for those of us that aren't watching this on video, which is all of you, Sean did the uh, Batista entrance. It was great. Batista guns. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I definitely don't think this match really goes to a, a, a pinfall by any means. Maybe maybe some kind of fuckery towards it, but there's definitely going to be some some kind of involvement with Sean Spears, MJF. I think uh, Chrissy laid it out perfectly in text. It just seems like it's the only way to happen. And it's going to make sense. It's going to build the storyline and create that, like Alex was saying, future storyline with Wardlow and MJF even getting that spark even even bigger. Um, I'm looking forward to another match on Wednesday in the Daniel Garcia and Sammy Guevara TNT interim championship match. Um, Daniel Garcia is so fucking hot right now. He like the way he just like, I don't even, I didn't even see him like beeline into the ring. I just see him up in Sammy Guevara's ear, just chewing him out and then just mightily slaps him right across the face. And like, he he put out a great, those mom jeans. (laughs) He put out like a great tweet of just like, Letting a grown man punk you out for 10 seconds before you do anything to respond. Told me everything I need to know about you. Let's see what those textures are worth, Samuel. It just He's great. He's, he's perfect on Twitter. I think uh, this match shouldn't only be for that interim title. It should be for the, the pillar that Sammy gets to claim in, in our uh, AEW. I think Daniel Garcia is a perfect up-and-newcomer. I think he's taken the... The industry by storm i'm glad that aew is around because who knows if we'd see someone like this some scrawny little shit talker dude from amazingly buffalo he's born and raised out of this weird that a shit talker like that's from buffalo tables, man yeah i mean they're they're bred a hard out there it's pretty cold you got to be a, a strong motherfucker to to be from there so I can't wait. I'm not the biggest Sammy Guevara fan, so it'd be cool to see Daniel Garcia take that title and then take the full title from Cody once he comes back healthy and his family's all good. So prayers out to them. Yep. Uh, I just want to say Daniel Garcia, he's one of the most intense people on the roster to me. He's uh, He doesn't treat it like, like the wink wink, like remember the wrestling's fake. He treats it like it's real at all times, whether he's on Twitter or he's in the ring. Um, which I'm fine with the guys that don't do that, you know, with the guys who kind of do the nods and break the fourth wall, whatever, it's fine. But it just makes me really appreciate the Daniel Garcia's though when those people do exist. So um yeah, I enjoyed it. He uh he he's somebody that came out of nowhere really and they kind of gave him a pretty good spot. I, I'd like to see him win this not only because I'd like to see him with the title, but you know, it feels like he's always on the losing end of everything that he does. Yeah. Uh, and and you can only be that so many times before you start to be associated with just being a loser a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, so that's kind of one reason I'd like to see him, him win this and dominate this. And uh, you know what? Any man that comes from the same place that uh, the Buffalo wing came from is uh, I'm a fan of theirs. True that. Good point. Good point. Um, I, th- I definitely think too, we see some like 2.0 involvement, some uh Proud, proud and powerful, Pride and Prejudice, whatever their name is. We see some involvement from the tag teams, probably then too, just by uh, association, maybe some Eddie Kingston, and as we spoke about in last cringe section, uh, Chris Jericho coming out, maybe fueling that um, that feud to, to something on, maybe a, a match on Revolution, probably. Just there's a lot to come from it, and hopefully it kind of sparks all the things around it. Yeah, and we talked about Shibata going into business for himself. I thought Garcia did almost on Sammy. I mean, I was hooked into that thinking like, oh, those are some fucking live rounds. Yeah, those he didn't let go of that headlock. Potatoes and I, that, that, that actually got my wife to go like, oh, what 
what's going on? <laughs> like we were watching Battle of Belts and she mentioned, she referenced his pants, but then she was like, wow, he's, it's legit. So I thought that was pretty cool just to get someone who hates wrestling to go, whoa. Um, and then I'm anticipating Sheeta and Deeb. I thought they were going to wrestle on the first week of uh, TBS. So I was like, oh, wait, I didn't know that was moved to another week. But hey, that's fine. This gives this match more shine and more focus. They did a great video uh, with Serena Deeb talking to JR of just how intense she was and making this seem like a real classic match that it's going to be and uh, really put a lot of hype onto it for a fourth match in a series that does seem kind of like a little long in the tooth and it's very rare for AEW to have a match again and again and again like this. So it says something that I'm looking forward to it because um, this could have came off like fucking Usos and New Day of like, oh, again, but they brought it every time they've been in the ring and they both have so much potential. And I think everyone's rooting for these two to have a show stealer match. So you can do something with both of the belts, TBS or the women's world title. Yeah, and uh, you know, I've said it before. I'll say it again. This is a uh, Serena Deep podcast, so definitely yeah. looking forward to that match. Um, and I just think it's it's good to start seeing more and more where it's there's there's the women's feuds that aren't involving the title that they can have a feud outside of that. I know it's kind of started around the title with the tournament, or originally, I guess Sheeta getting her fiftieth win. But um, these two can you know kind of continually go at it, and it's been enjoyable so far. I would love to see them truly close out a show, though. And I don't know if if is it is it officially this week that we're having it do you know chris yeah okay so um would love to see that be a main event because um you know it's the fourth match in the feud and um i think that we haven't seen them fully let loose on what they can do together so yeah we saw a hint of it in the second match they definitely brought it more and the third one wasn't it didn't meet the standard and i'm wondering maybe that's why they're doing a fourth just so they can get it out of their system and have a definitive i don't know classic um, speaking of women's wrestling, what did you guys think of the TBS title finish? Little, it was a little sloppy. Um, yeah. but I mean, I think we all know that Jade is, you know, still pretty new. I think for how new Jade is, she's, she's good. She's, she's fine. And she's, she presents uh, a really cool look. Um, and I think that we kind of all knew when they announced the TBS title that there was a very good chance that she would be the first TBS champion. I think, yeah. When you look at you want somebody to be the the face of TBS, if if the TNT title is the face of TNT, I think she's a perfect face of, of TBS. Um, and I thought like the pictures of her with her uh, child afterwards in the title, like that's just really cool to see. Yeah. Um, also, um, I think her boyfriend or husband is Brandon Phillips of the uh, Cincinnati Reds, who was like my favorite like second baseman growing up. So uh, <laughs> that's just like a cool <laughs> a cool thing for me to be like biased yeah yeah a little bit of bias on my end but no i think it was it was a fine match and um i think i think they did a good job i i didn't really want to see um ruby riot win that match um i just i don't think i've connected with her as as she's come to AEW yet um so i'm i have no complaints i'm looking forward to seeing if they make the tbs title similar to the tnt title where it's like an open challenge oftentimes because that'll be really interesting with jade being so green and if they can continue to do open challenges and have her uh, look strong in all of those. Yeah. I forgot once you asked that, what it was like it, uh, what the ending had to be. And that was that uh, like top rope, middle rope avalanche, avalanche yeah. whatever she does. Yeah. It, it put a little stain on a, on a good match. Um, 
I like the, you kind of set that feud involvement with Thunder Rosa and Mercedes Martinez, give her something to do. That'll be extremely hot because anything you put Thunder Rosa in, that's going to be great. Ruby, Soho, Riot kind of always has that lovable loser gimmick, it seems like, but it's kind of hard to love her. So it made sense that Jay Cargill was going to be the champion. And like you were saying at the end of the match, good to see. So I love what I expected. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. You're good. Just what yeah, I expected. I, I love the moment, though, of her with her daughter. I thought that was a cool thing. And it made, it's like, well, fuck, how do you hate her now? Yeah. You know, like it just, it was, it was an interesting thing to show. And, uh, I I was thinking about it today and I was like, God, has there been a woman's wrestler that they've made to do about the fact that they're a mom? Like that's kind of an organic um, storyline option, you know, like you can do something mm-hmm. with that or you can play off like Kevin Owens, old gimmick of like, I'm a prize fighter. I'm going to beat the shit yeah. out of you because I'm a parent and you yeah. can do that with Jade. And I think it would come off legitimate. WWE did a, a little bit with, uh, Lacey Evans, they kind of incorporated her like mother. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking Didn't you're talking they? about when she like was pregnant and they insinuated it was oh, like that's what I thought it was like the Rick oh, no, no, thing. No. Like, no, no, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, I forgot I think... about that. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, that was a thing too. No, not the not the baby that Snitsky punted into the uh, the crowd or anything. But I think she did have like a little bit. They, she she kind of ran with it in her, her own promo gimmicks and all that, that sounds familiar yeah but uh yeah nothing quite to the extent of what she has done uh, in jade all right well we have a lot of things to anticipate one of the things that i'm anticipating is going to beach class with you two but grab your snorkels embarrass me i don't want you nincompoops to come off like an idiot so we're going to do another round of trivia tonight and it's going to be for your Ooh. favorite song Tarzan Boy by Baltimore. So this oh, is no. Jungle Boy's entrance. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the first half of the verse, and then you complete the next half. Now, luckily for you, these are very easy. So we'll test your ability to get these lyrics right. Are you up for the challenge? You make the proofs. This is I. I'm up for it, but I didn't know that there were words in that song. Yeah, I was hoping for like maybe the Pixies. Come on, this is I don't. It's just a bunch of people shouting and throwing their hands in the air. Oh, there are some lyrics. Oh, great. These are incredible lyrics. These are lyrics that are just as good as Toto's Africa. So, Alex, I'm going to start with you. So I will begin the first uh, two lines of the verse, and then you finish the other lines. Now, again, these are very easy, so you should have no problem with this. You're ready, Alex. I am. Okay. This is from Tarzan Boy by Baltimore. Jungle life, I'm far away from nowhere, on my own, like Tarzan boy. Yes. Did it, did it, did it. I'm just saying if you got it right or no. Yeah, Yeah, we're just judging you here. (laughs) All right, finish it off, Alex. Uh, Can I, can you play it again one more time? Jungle life, I'm far away from nowhere, on my own, like Tarzan boy. Finish this verse. Swinging tree to tree from sea to signing sea. Very close. All right. Hide and seek. I play alone while rushing across the forest. Monkey business on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> they say all of that. Uh, uh, yeah, that was my I had that. My I that was my next guess. Oh. <laughs> 
Shit. It was so much fun to read. I was like, these are great <laughs> lyrics. All right, Sean, let's see if you can if if uh, you can not be a plebeian here. So, great. all right, pressure's on, Sean Boy. Here we go. Jungle life. I'm living in the open. Native beat that carries on. Pretty um, easy. This it's uh, easy. it's uh, it's not just that. Oh, 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 whatever they do. No, no. Mm. Oh, I I'd have to say I have not even a slightest clue. You sniveling ass. All right, here it is. It's burning bright, a fire that blows the signal to the sky. I sit and wonder, does the message get to you? I I they must cut so much from this in the in the, the entrances because I don't hear a thing. Those are some fucking lyrics. I love that it. I genius. I legitimately just thought it was the. Oh, I yeah. thought that was the only words. Yeah. No. Wow. Yeah. Wow. There's actual lyrics. Aren't those yeah. great? God. I'm I'm just waiting for us to finally do John Cena lyrics and then, then I'll be ready. But Apple dough, baby. <laughs> not this. Not this. <laughs> it's another segment for you to lead down the line. Well, that's yeah. going to be. <laughs> Maybe I will. Well, that's what I'll do. Yeah. Well, that's going to be our show for this week. Please visit us at wrestlingelitist.com for our latest match reviews and articles. Again, uh, follow the show via Spotify or go to wrestlingelitist.com and under play on under podcast, excuse me, to listen to the show. It'll hopefully be on Apple and on iTunes at some point, but we're having some issues with that and hopefully we get that fixed this week. Uh, thank you so much for being a listener or a reader. We uh, truly appreciate your uh, your appreciation as well. Give us a five-star review. Send us an email with a question for us to discuss in the show if you'd want us to discuss that. And that's going to be it for this week. Rick Rude, take us home. Hit the music.